Hello and welcome to another episode of the Scarl Nation podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Chris Akonis, joined by Bobby Darren. And today we're doing something a little bit different. We're actually going to turn the questions over to you, the readers. Uh, we have uh, quite a few questions here um, from uh, the message boards that we're going to go through one by one and uh, try to answer to the best of our ability. Um, so, Bobby, this is a little bit of a different thing we're doing for the podcast and should be a fun time. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. You know, we have a lot of longtime readers on there to to jump in and jump in with questions. And we couldn't leave the thread too long because we can only go so long with the podcast. So well, I think we have a good amount and I'm excited to get going and and giving the readers what they want to hear and answering their questions. All right. And with that, we go right into our first question from Corner Tavern, who asks us uh, to tell us about the quarterback and wide receiver connection are they on the same page, and what will it take to achieve a successful passing game this year? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. We can't, you know, delve into the specifics of what we see in practice, but, um, you know, you have a guy like Jaquay Jackson who just came in. Um, you know, he's starting to develop a connection with Gavin Wimsett, and after we left the practice field the other day, you know, those two were still out there throwing to one another, like, you know, long after everybody else is leaving, so they're really working on that, and um, you can develop a connection working together, you know, in the in the, the, the time that precedes training camp where, you know, guys will get together and throw, but it really develops when you're on the field and you're running plays, and you kind of get a feel for other guys, and, and, and that just takes time and and then they're working at it and you know you got a guy like chris long who wasn't out for spring practice so um he's getting to work more extensively with gavin wimsett you know you bring in a guy like nasim brantley he's a guy that that, that has to build that connection as well so um you know you don't have a ton of returning guys so it takes time to build a connection but they are working diligently at it but nothing can really replace actual game reps when it comes to that so I think that will build as time goes on, but they're doing their part and trying to to really establish that connection. Okay, on that note, we go to our next question from Jiu-Jitsu. How close or far away are we from a size strength standpoint along the O-line and D-line compared with the other Big Ten teams? I think that's a question that a lot of Rutgers fans have had on their mind, and I'm sure, Bobby, you've got a pretty good take on this. Yeah, my man Jiu-Jitsu always asking about how everything's going. I appreciate that too in his in in his uh, ask the staff questions. But um, I'd like to say that you know the defensive line I think is closer to being that Big Ten defensive line than the offensive line. But you see the progress in the offensive line. You know, um, I was remarking the other day to you at practice. You look at Holland Pierce. That's a that's a Big Ten defensive or offensive tackle. You know, I mean, you look at him and he's just a hulking huge guy. Rutgers doesn't have you know, uh, a surplus of that. Whereas if you're a team like Ohio State, you have Holland Pierce's growing on trees, so to speak. So, um, you know, you're getting there on the offensive line. Now, the defensive line, I think, is more imposing. You have, you know, your defensive ends are a lot bigger. Aaron Lewis is up in the 260s now. Wesley Bailey is a physical freak to look at. Keontae Hamilton's up to 290. You know, uh, Isaiah Aiton, you've seen pictures of him, just a massive human being. And Mayan Hanatu has got up to 300 pounds. So I would say the defensive line is closer to looking like those staple Big Ten defensive lines. The offensive line's getting there but it's not quite as imposing as the defensive line. Yeah, and I think that just really quick plays into the larger theme, which is they look like more of a Big Ten team as a whole this year um, than they have in uh -huh. the past years. And I think that's something that is really going to translate on the field. 
uh, come uh, the start of the season. So that's definitely going to be exciting to watch. Um, over to John Panda now, who asks, what formation do you predict the offense is going to run most of its plays out of? Uh, it's a, he says 11 personnel, 21 personnel, et cetera. I'm not sure how much we can go into this, Bobby, but what do you make of how this offense could potentially line up? I think they're going to run whatever works. They're going to throw out there, you know, and, and try some things. But I, I would expect two tight ends more times than not. If you're going to be a running team, you know, you'd have that 12 personnel in there and, and you'd have, uh, you know, uh, Donnie Lang and, and Sean, Sean Bowman in there at the same time. That's what they brought him in for. You know, you have a 260 plus pound tight end. Use them. Let them block. Right. If you want to be a running team, you have to establish the run. What's the best way to do it? You move those guys in the trenches. So um, I, I think Dick Kirk Soraka will be creative in what he does with it. And, and he's not just going to be run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I think he's going to, you know, mix it up a little bit in the passing game and do some unique things. But um, as far as what will they go with through the course of the season, I mean, you're going to see him try some stuff out. And I think what's working best uh, they're, they're going to stick with. But I would expect to see two tight ends used because they brought in Sean Bowman for a reason, right? Johnny Langan is a veteran. He's going to play a lot. So uh, those two guys, I would expect to play a lot over the course of the season. And, um, you know, if they can spread them out and change things up, they will. But um, I don't have the script of the first 10 or 15 plays. But, um, you know, I would expect, you know, those tight ends to see some action. And yes, next, you know what we have? We have another one. Actually, next, I would like to ask you one. I'm sorry we were going through the question. C and CNJ Knight asked, how is Darius Adams recruitment going? And I asked that because I know you were writing about him. Um, class of 2025, you know, elite recruit. You know, he's a, a five star with the 247 Sports Composite. Uh, four star, number 18 ranked player for 247 Sports in the class of 25 hoops. Um, you know, what's going on with him, Chris? Uh, yeah, so we haven't had too much of an update lately in terms of the specifics with him and Rutgers. Uh, he did transfer uh, from going out of state, was at Manasquan, now heading out to La Lumiere School in Laporte, Indiana. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't know for sure. Um, but in any case, you know, he is a guy with Jersey roots. His uh, sister uh, recently transferring into women's basketball. She was also a top 100 uh, recruit in her own right. Um, so definitely a lot of talent in that family. And um, from everything we've seen, it's still we're still a ways off uh, as far as a commitment is concerned. I wouldn't expect to hear anything in the near term on that. Um, and we'll certainly keep monitoring it. And uh, Rutgers uh, in the mix for not just Darius Adams, but some other uh, class of 2025 uh, recruits as well in terms of guards like, um, you know, Malik Thomas uh, and also uh, Trey McKinney as well uh, is uh, scheduled to be taking a visit uh, later this fall. So that'll be something to watch as well. Good stuff, Chris. Yeah, so we keep things going here now. Are you grad in ACC land? Uh, who is keeping it on the basketball side of things? Of committed 2024 group of Ace Bailey, Lathan Somerville, Bryce Dorch, and possibly Dylan Harper. Please venture a prediction of how many years each player stays at RU. Is anyone in that group a one and done? Will it be more than one guy? Will any of them stay all four? You know, it's a good question. A lot of a lot of, uh, you know, crystal ball looks into the future there. Right. I think Harper and Bailey could be one and done guys in lottery picks, um, assuming everything goes according to plan. I, I don't see those guys sticking around for more than one year because, I mean, let's face it. You look at the NBA draft and, and there's a premium on these young guys now. So even if 
if, if Bailey or Harper is not to the level where they want to be after year one, NBA teams are, are taking chances on these guys early. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe one of them stays two, but you know, you're safe money. If you were going to wager, you probably bet one, but you know, you look at a guy like Bryce Dorch and he's a Dorch and he still needs time to develop. He's, he's very, um, you know, he's long and, and he's lean. He's, he's got to get a little stronger. And I think you bring in a guy like that with the idea that he's going to be here for quite a few years. Well, not quite a few, but you know what I mean? He's not a one and done guy. He's a guy that you need to develop. They could, you know, come off the bench and play a little bit, but really needs to, to kind of grow his game. Lathan Somerville's, I don't think he's a one and done guy by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, do these guys stay all four years? I mean, that's there, there's a lot that has to go into that. I mean, how do they recruit? How do they fill out? How do they produce? But I, I think these are the guys, as long as everything goes well, they'll be here at least three years. And, um, you know, there, there's with the NIL, with the overseas options, there's so many intangibles that go into it. But um, that would be my assessment as of now. Yeah, good point, Bobby. Also to point out, um, you know, as much as, you know, the potential one and dones are exciting in terms of uh, Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey um, are concerned, if both of them end up at Rutgers, you need that foundation of players that stay two, three, four years. And guys like Somerville, Dorch, and I would even say the freshman uh, in this year's class uh, that's coming in or has joined the team in Gavin Griffiths and Jermichael Davis, those are guys that are not uh, projected to be one and done. And of course, there are other factors like the transfer portal and whatnot that play into it. But um, that looks to be the core that's going to be around, you know, Ace Bailey and anyone else they bring in. And that's really going to make the difference because you can't win with freshmen alone. I think the last few years in college basketball uh, have shown that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And you see those, you know, even Duke and UNC don't make the top 25 at certain points of the year in certain seasons. So it's not a guarantee that that bringing guys in is going to, you know, catapult you to the top four. Absolutely. On that note, uh, we'll go back to football now. Chiefs 1956 asks us, will this year's team go as far as the offensive line takes them? I'm assuming the defense is as good as we expect it to be. No, I, every year we kind of say that, and I've written this so many times that, you know, the season hinges on the play of the offensive line. And, and I hate to, to sound like a broken record, but it, it's probably the case again, because, you know, Gavin Wimsett can be as developed as he wants to be. If you don't have any time to throw the ball, you know, it's not going to matter. Um, you know, if they can't clear the running lanes for Sam Brown, I mean, all his talent goes to waste. I mean, look at Isaiah Pacheco. You know, he had what I, I always like to say when people say, are you surprised at Pacheco's success? I say not at all, because he had some of the best two and three yard runs I've ever seen in my life. And I say that because he was, you know, fighting for his life as soon as he got the ball. So, um, you know. The, the offensive line is going to dictate it. And, and, you know, you bring in Pat, Pat Flaherty and, and yes, he's a, he's an experienced coach, a very good coach, but you know, he can only do so much with what he has. So um, a guy that's been here for multiple years, I mean, yes, they'll get better and develop, but you can't see a guy who's been here multiple years making these great, you know, extensive leaps and bounds they will get better, but you know, I wouldn't expect him to be a miracle worker. So, um, yeah, real close concentration on that. I mean, does, does the offensive line stay healthy? Because I don't know if there's enough depth to, to, to compensate for multiple injuries across that line if that occurs. So, um, yeah, the offensive line is going to take the team as far as it can go. And the defense will be good. But if that offensive line can't help keep opposing defenses off the field, um, it, you know, it could make for a long day. 
Yeah, for sure. One of the uh, question marks going into the season and certainly an area where Rutgers will look to improve. And on that note, we go over to our next question. Williams Rhino, uh, who asks, understanding you can't give specifics, I'll phrase a question this way. Grading on a scale of one to 10, how well do you think uh, Gavin Wimsett will be? He grades last year as a two for reference. Does he reach five this year? Um, the offensive line, uh, Ryan grades it last year as a four. What do they reach this year? So a two-part question um, from Williams Rhino. Uh, Bobby, I'm gonna, I'm curious to get your take on this. I think these are two of the most pressing questions on the offensive side for Rutgers. Well, if Gavin was a two last year, I think he definitely reaches a five this year. Um, he's just more mature, more confident. He's understanding things better. Is he going to make all the throws he should? No. But um, he will make, you know, I, th I think Kirk Soraka does a good job of tailoring the offense to what Wimsett does best. So there's certain throws he can make with regularity. And I think you'll see the offense kind of, you know, be built around those type of plays. And, you know, his, his, his ankle last year, he played the last five games with a, with a bum wheel. You know what I mean? He, he wasn't 100 percent. So it limited what he could do in the running game. And that's a big part of his game. So um, you saw what he did on that, you know, f first early on against Boston College last year where he took it and took off. And, um, you know, I think you'll see a lot of that. And and I think he'll be better than a five. I think, he, you know, I've been singing his praises. But again, he's only going to be as good as the offensive line and receivers allow him to be. You know, if he even if he's in that pocket and does have time, his receivers have to give him some some windows to throw in. You know, he's got they got to get open if they don't. You know, the, his his performance suffers and everybody blames the quarterback. But. You have to look at the context of the situation, but but I think he can definitely reach a five and, and possibly go beyond that this year. And in terms of the offensive line, if last year was a four, you know, I, I think they could get up to a six this year. And, and, you know, a lot of things have to go right. You know, the guys have to stay healthy. These guys have to make the strides. I don't think they make huge strides, but I think they can make strides and they really just have to stay healthy, too, Chris. Yeah, and I think um, definitely room for improvement on both sides, particularly with Gavin Wimsett, who, let's keep in mind, still a sophomore. So the fact that he is, um, you know, making, you know, the strides and the progress um, and, and the development that he's going through right now, I think if you're a Rutgers fan, even beyond this season, and he can take steps forward this season, of course, uh, you have to feel pretty excited about where the long-term trajectory is with him. On that note, we go over to Are You Crazy? Um, that wasn't a question for me. That's his uh, name. Uh, Shiano has been pretty upfront that we will be running um, Kirk Shiraka's Minnesota offense. How does RU make game planning more difficult for opposing defenses? I like that name. Are you crazy? If some people, people have asked me that before, too. So I'm glad they didn't ask me that question now. But um, um, how does it make it more difficult game planning? I mean, that's, they do this all week. I mean, these guys like bunker down and, and spend, you know, times 20 hours a day on this stuff so um i you know teams are looking to play them they're not going to just run this the, the same scheme same same well I'm, i shouldn't say same scheme they, they're not going to run the same plays every game and, and it's not going to be the same type of game plan because what they're looking for is weaknesses in the defense that they can expose so uh, you can't really look at minnesota's um film from last year because you know you had a running back like ibrahim who ran 320 times and i think the quarterback ran 34. So, I mean, that was just a ground and pound. We're going to take this between the tackles, hard-nosed runner, and take it up the gut. Uh, while Rutgers may be able to do some of that this year, they have a guy like Gavin Wimsett who you can 
utilize in the running game. So um, I think they can switch it up. And and like I said, it's going to the game plan is going to basically try to expose the weaknesses of the defense. And you, what you try to do is create numbers advantages for your offense and in the way they scheme. So um, I don't think it's just going to be a blueprint because they played the Minnesota offense. Kirk Soraka has been tailoring this offense to what Rutgers does well. So there will be remnants of that offense, but I don't think it'll be the exact duplicate of that offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely different personnel, different strong suits, and other factors there as well. Philly Fanatic asks us, throw out Ohio State and those guys who I'm just going to assume are of the tier of a Michigan, uh, Penn State, of that caliber, the teams that Rutgers have Mm -hmm. historically struggled against. Um, Are we going to see a lot of 2017 games this year, 2017 being the scoreline, good defense and reliance on the running game? Bobby, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this too. I think that would be the the goal, you know, of the coaching staff, because you're not looking at a high flying offense. It's going to score 40 points a game. So what do you have to do? Ball control. Um, you have to play good defense. You have to win the field position game. Now, that's going to be a question mark because you don't have an Adam Corsack anymore. I mean, this guy was precise and, and you know, the way he was able to flip the field and and just really do it, uh, an unprecedented job. I mean, I, I think we should temper expectations when it comes to you know, the punting game because he was the best Rutgers has ever seen. So I think the staff would really, you know, prefer to keep a lot of 2017 games because that means they're in it the whole time. And, you know, you can rely on your defense to keep the other team from from scoring too much. And, and, and you know, if you only need 20 points out of your offense, that's not a ton to ask. Um, so I, I think you and it, 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 if, if every game is a 20 to 17 type game, it's going to be a good year for Rutgers. Yeah, and I'll say one more thing. If they're relying on the run game and the scoreline ends in that uh, range, that means the offense is chewing a lot more clock uh, this mm-hmm. year, and that's going to help the defense be better. So, you know, talk about stuff like complementary football. That definitely plays into it as well. Uh, Mark G1504 um, decided to ask us a few questions, 10 in exact. We're going to turn this into Dang. a rapid-fire segment. <laughs> yes, 10 questions, and we'll answer them to the best Mark of our ability. Theory. Uh, he says all of the following may or may not be allowed um, per training camp rules, but it would be interesting to learn your opinion from your view of training camp and scrimmages. So, Bobby, I'm just going to go back and forth with you on each one of these. Um, Let's do it. And we'll see how much we can get through. Uh, number one, can you name the projected top 12 offensive linemen without stating a first, second, third or fourth team? Uh, I mean, it's it, you know, we, we can't really give out two deeps right now. I apologize, but those are practice rules. Can you name any of the freshmen who have been flashing? Another one. Sorry, can't answer. Greg would would not like that one. Okay. Can you name the candidates who are trying out for the punt returner or kick returner positions? They have a lot of guys back there fielding kicks. You have your Avery Young. You have, I mean, I'm sorry, Aaron Young, excuse me. Um, They also have Christian Dremel back there, uh, Rashad Rochelle. Um, You know, so you see some of those guys back there. And, you know, Greg kind of likes to trust guys who are reliable in at least in the punt game and in, in, in catching or fielding the ball. So that's the utmost priority there because keep in mind, Rutgers is more of a pump block team than a punt return team. Uh, four, can you name the freshman wide receivers who are most likely to see playing time this season? Again, that would be revealing what we've seen there. And, and I think this one you'll start to see right away on opening day. Uh, number five, uh, at the tight end group, uh, who appears to be the better receiver out of the three of Bowman, Langan, and Higgins? 
Uh, you know, I said early Higgins is the best receiver of the bunch. He's a more natural receiver than the other two, you know, but um, can he do it in games? That's a big question mark. I mean, you know, he's he's only in the second year, played seven games last year, didn't have a catch, but he's the more natural receiver of the bunch. All right. Number six, how do you see the running back position being utilized beyond Sam Brown? Tough to play more than two to three back, but see Aaron Young, Kyle Manunga getting some burn in there. Alistair D does some stuff really well, too. Uh, I could see some specialty stuff going in for him, but, um, you know, Sam Brown is the guy they want to rely on this year. Can you project the 11 starters on defense? I mean, it's basically, you're not going to see any much changes on the defense. I mean, you have pretty much everybody back. You know, you lose Avery Young at safety, you lose uh, Christian Izzy, and you plug in Flip Dixon and and Shaquan Loyal there. Your linebackers are back, your ends are back. Um, you know, in the middle, you're going to see a bunch of guys play. You probably see Keontae Hamilton and Mayan Hanatu start, and Isaiah Ains right there rolling in. So, no real surprises. Can you project the 11 starters on offense with a four receiver set, two tight end alignment, empty backfield? Um, in that one, there's still a bunch of them up for grabs, so I'm not going to say what the competition looks like because that would be, once again, you know, seeing what we're we're watching in practice. But I, I, it's not set on offense yet. Can you project sack totals for Lewis, Bailey, Ture, and Fletcher? All hypothetical. Um, yeah, that that's too – I mean, I'd just be throwing out numbers because there's so much situation. When, when you look at totals, I mean, look, does Aaron Lewis get 10 sacks or is Aaron Lewis getting double teamed every time? And, and does that free Wesley Bailey up to get sacks or somebody else? So I think you have to look at it in context like that. Like sometimes the guy that is the most dangerous doesn't get the most sack. Why? Because they're paying more attention to him and it frees up somebody else. So um, I'm not going to venture a guess on numbers there. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, last one. Could you project the top three leaders in the secondary uh, in terms of interceptions? That's another tough one. I mean, you're just throwing it out. It's all situational. Who's in the right spot at the right time? I mean, does Mac Melton cover a guy so well that that the quarterback just has to chuck one up? And does Desmond Igmanusen be the the beneficiary of that because he comes in and plays center field really well? I think a lot of that is situational. I mean, if Max Melton locks a guy down all game, he doesn't have the opportunities to to get the interception so then you know what i mean he's still doing his job he might not have the stats to show it but you know he's he's that's more efficient than interceptions at times so to speak because they'll take away one side of the field you know um i I think though a guy who has a nose for the ball who showed last year's robert Longerbeam. i think he'd be in that mix i like the way desmond mcnewson plays center field i think he could get some plays this year but i mean a lot of that is so situational that sometimes guys are recipients of another guy really doing a great job all right. On that note, Isham MC um, asks, do you see Hughes, Griffin, Angoy, and Allen making the two deep this year or next year at the latest? And also, how has Todd Bowles Jr. been doing with his development? Well, I can't comment on next year because there's just so much that, that goes into it. But the closest one of that bunch is um, Zaire Angoy. He's kept his weight down. And I think that's one of the struggles he had from the beginning was just managing his weight. So um, I, I think you could see him in that rotation in the back end of the of the, of the defensive tackle rotation. But Todd Bowles Jr. has been getting better. But remember, he's a walk-on. He's going up against a lot of competition. Maybe he gets some burn on special teams this year. But I wouldn't expect you know him to break the two deep. Okay, RU fan NYC asks, how does the roster compare to previous years? And from what you've seen so far in camp, has it changed your prediction for the season? 
Well, I haven't made my season prediction yet. I always wait right until the start of the season and get to see the full gamut of training camp before I do that. But um, it, it's a better roster. There's there's more depth. Um, you know, we talked about on the last podcast, you know, how some of these linebackers are, are really stacking up to provide depth. Now, I will say that depth doesn't go all the way around. You know, the depth at linebacker isn't the same as the depth in the offensive line. So it's building. It's better than last year. This team should be better than last year. It, it has better players. It has bigger players. It has players with more speed. Um, it has better coaching. So I, I don't know. Does that translate into more wins? We have to see on Saturdays and the one Sunday against Northwestern. But um, it is a better roster in terms of athletes, of players with higher ceilings, with more athleticism and size. How does that factor into the season? I'm not sure yet. I'm pretty sure what I'm leaning to towards the season prediction, but it isn't etched in stone yet. So um, we'll have that to you before the season begins. Okay. Dave with an underscore on each side of the name says, hi, how are you? First time, long time. I didn't hear it from the previous callers, but some of the local commits have been able to watch practices. I know they have their own camps, but uh, do schedules permit them to visit campus? First, I like how he framed this as an actual sports radio uh, caller, um, as someone with an RSU background. I appreciate that a lot. But Bobby, um, you know, what can you say about it? You know, how the local commits have been able to get involved? First, I'm fine. He asked how I was, so I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I appreciate it. Um, I haven't seen any practice since I've been there. You know, I don't know. In the recruiting period, it goes in the dead period. I don't even know if it's a dead period now or a quiet period. Or, uh, But everybody's at practice. They're doing their own things. I haven't seen any in the days we've been allowed in. So we haven't heard of anything. You'd see articles if, they, if, if there were guys visiting and we would get wind of it. So, um, you know, uh, I have to catch up with Brian and, and, and touch base on more some more recruiting stuff and what to expect. We'll have him on another podcast coming up shortly, and we'll cover all the recruiting needs there because that's Mr. Johnny on the spot with everything recruiting. Yeah, certainly um, the guy to ask with those uh, sorts of questions in terms of how the recruiting landscape is shaping up. Two more questions here on the pod, and we go next over to Justin316-4211 who asks, what game do you think is the best chance for RU to upset someone this football season? You know, I'm I'm going to I'll probably throw out a name, you know, Michigan State. I'm not I'm not high on them. They had a, a transfers out on I don't think Mel Tucker's the real deal there. I know you did a lot of previews too, so Chris, I'm I'm curious to hear who you would pick uh to this to the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I guess it depends on how much better uh, does a team have to be to consider it an upset. Do they have to be at that top 25 level? Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll give I'll give two answers. One, assuming like a top 25 team and one just like that team that I think is better, but not quite at that level. Um, so mm-hmm. first, I think the team that's a bit closer to Rutgers in talent that I think Rutgers could beat is Iowa. Um, reason being is that uh, I think uh, they're both very defense heavy teams that tends to favor low scoring. And low scoring, mm-hmm. as you know, that tends to lead to a better chance of upsets. You don't need quite as many things to go right for you on the offensive end. Um, last year wasn't quite as close as Rutgers fans wanted, but two things to keep in mind here. One, as Bobby mentioned earlier, all uh, or almost everyone from last year's defense is back better. You've got um, you know healthier players in the case of uh, Muhammad Ture and Moses Walker as well. Um, and two, the offense, I think, is going to be able to stay on the field more and be more productive. And that's going to sort of take the load off the defense. So I would 
give Rutgers a decent chance. I know they're on the road and Kinnick Stadium, not an easy environment at all. Um, so that'd be my first uh, answer for that. Second one, in terms of the rank out of the big, big teams, and I'm not saying any of these are likely by any means, I would have to say recent history would say Michigan would be the best matchup for one reason in particular. If you look at the track record since Greg Shano has come, each year Rutgers has played Michigan as they're in the division. Um, two of those three games have really come down to the wire. One actually going into a couple of overtime periods, and then uh, the other in the big house, um, a low-scoring game that Rutgers was in right until the very end. Um, I think Michigan, they are a very good team. Um, you know, They've made the college football playoff the last two years. But I think they tend to play uh, just as a nature of their personnel. They're a very run-heavy team, uh, a more slower, methodical uh, form of offense. And I think with Rutgers' defensive line in particular and the linebacker room, too, being closer to full health, um, I think that uh, Rutgers stylistically matches up a bit better. And I think if there's a game that I think Rutgers has a chance to pull off that real signature win, that would be it. Um, but again, that's going to be a very difficult one too. uh, this year being, um, you know, on the road and in a tough environment, but it is earlier in the year. So you don't have to deal with the cold. So I, I suppose that could be a plus, um, but that's sort of my two part answer to that. But, um, again, Whoa, one, Michigan, Michigan oh, Chris, think, well, no, I mean, look at the history though. I mean, Penn state I'm hasn't really been close. Ohio state has not been close. You know, uh-huh. I, I, I tend to lean towards that and, you know, it just stylist it, style matters uh, to a certain extent here too. Cause look, Ohio state's the type of team year in and year out. They've got really fast athletes. Rutgers has had a hard time contending with that. Also contending with their passing game as well. Penn state is coming off a Rose bowl win and they've got a really highly ranked quarterback in drew Aller who, you know, has gotten rave reviews. Um, so those are going to be really, really tough for Rutgers to compete in. Uh, the defense is going to have to do an exceptional job uh, to stay in. Um, so, I but I think stylistically, and again, I'm not saying Michigan's not good. I'm not saying, you know, they're overrated or anything like that. Cause keep in mind, they made the playoff the year that Rutgers last played them in the big house and almost knocked them off. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I think out of those three teams that Rutgers plays every year, that are always right up there at the top of the big 10, I'd have to say Michigan just based on the history. Um, I like your optimism. I like your optimism. Yeah. Again, not saying it's definitely going to happen, but if I had to I pick one, that would be it. Um, so I that's my two parter on that. Uh, and our last question here on the list, uh, MJ MMD asks, did Jay Patel win the place kicking job or did Jude's accuracy or in his case, inaccuracy, as he puts it, uh, cost him the job? Is the position a concern? Well, a great question. I'm not concerned about the position because we watched them kick in a, in a very tight competition throughout the spring. I mean, they would go back and start booming kicks from way out, and they were neck and neck. And I and I believe that Jai is a is a bit more accurate, which is why or Jay is is a bit more accurate, which is why he won the job. And um, you know, you saw last year, Jude was what 12 of 18. So. There were some misses that should have been makes in there, and it, and it appears that, that Greg Ciano has more confidence in Jay's ability, and and you really saw a rise with him. I mean, he was kicking, and you and you just seen him get better and better each week. But if if he starts to falter, you have a guy who has a good leg in in Jude, and 
you know, it's not a position of concern. It was a little surprising to see it because I, I didn't know if if Jay was was there yet to overtake him, but apparently he is. And and you know, hats off to him. He's a great kid, worked really hard. Um, you know, was treated like a regular recruit when he came in. He wasn't treated like a, a typical preferred walk on. He went on an official visit. I mean, this was a guy that they really liked coming out of. Uh, East Brunswick High School. So um, he's done a phenomenal job. I mean, this kid had a collapsed lung his senior year, worked back from that, and, and just a great story. And, and and he's really been accurate. And his leg is getting stronger and stronger. And you know, he's still just in his second year. So if he continues to work the strength program, and this kid could be a really prolific kicker um, by the time all is said and done in his Rutgers career. Yeah, definitely. And of course, having a competition um, like the one that had been ongoing in camp and. Um, you know, the way that has gone out, that's good too in the long run because it pushes both of them uh, to develop and really play closer to their uh, their potential. In the case mm-hmm. of Mattel, too, young player uh, in particular with a long a long way to go uh, in terms of time left with Rutgers and, you know, trajectory for mm-hmm. future development. So uh, certainly exciting there. All right, that uh, takes us to the end of our list of podcast questions here on the Scroll Nation podcast. I want to thank uh, Bobby Darren for, um, taking the time here on, as we continue on No Work Wednesday. Always love those. Very busy. Um, keep clicking refresh on your browser so you can keep getting the latest content. Uh, Bobby, any other final thoughts on anything we talked about before uh, we wrap this one up? All right. Just that, you know, thank you for the questions. And and this is something I think we're going to continue to do on a week to week basis and and, you know, kind of talk about what you guys want to hear. So um, thanks for the questions. And it, it's enjoyable to, to do this type of thing. And it's something I think we're going to continue moving forward. All right. And that does it for us here on the Scarlet Nation podcast. As a reminder, you can always interact with me, Bobby, Brian and the rest of the 24 uh, seven crew. Uh, at scarletnation.com we've got the latest articles and headlines and news and you can also interact with us on the message boards as well so keep it uh tuned there and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the scarlet nation podcast